Wake up. It's the Sleep Unplugged podcast, episode 72, Insomnia and the Gut Microbiome. Empty stomach, empty head. Welcome everyone to the Sleep Unplugged podcast. My name is Chris Winter. I'm your host, neurologist, and sleep expert. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. If you're a veteran of the Sleep Unplugged podcast, welcome back. And thank you. Our podcast was actually ranked 22nd, I think, in, in the United States for medical podcasts. And I know back when we did the episode about truthfulness and, and deceptiveness and, and things of this nature, we made a joke about being one of the most popular podcasts in the world. I assure you, this is not a joke. In terms of United States medical podcasts, we were actually ranked 22nd after last week's show about extreme cold and extreme heat. And I just want to thank everyone for listening to it. It was very popular. We had a lot of fun on social media. I want to give a big thanks to Sonobox. You can follow them at the Sonobox, as well as Lumi Therapy. You can follow them at Lumi Therapy for providing me their sauna and their cold water immersion tank. We had a lot of fun playing with it. I found them both to be remarkably relaxing and I think probably positive in terms of my sleep. Although we've only I've only been using them for a week now. There was some travel involved in that week. So personally, the jury's still out, but I definitely feel like that cold water immersion after I work out the sauna about an hour before I go to bed is really positive. Really want to thank them for making that all possible. If you're interested in their products, you can find them online. Also want to give a shout out to my fitness pal. I was in New York city this past week promoting their new app that allows you to track the food that you eat and how it affects your sleep. Also want to give a big shout out to Dr. Radio, Sirius XM, Billy Goldberg. You can find him at Ask Dr. Billy. Really appreciate him having me on his show, talking about all things medical, sleep, and New York. Really, really always in, enjoy catching up with Dr. Billy, Hoji, and everybody else at the show. So, you know, we always start the show off with comments, corrections, criticisms. I'm going to read a comment from Brendan Duffy, friend of the show. You can find him at Sleep to Compete on Instagram. And he wrote, hey, Chris, different take on cryotherapy here in the article. And he, he sent an article called Recovery for Athletes, the Science Behind It. It was in Health News and said that there is some growing evidence that extreme cold may actually slow muscle recovery after workouts because it actually freezes the body's natural healing process. When athletes perform at high intensity, the workout results in microscopic muscle fiber tears. So the body's response is to increase blood flow to that area to repair the damage. That's sort of the pathophysiology of building muscles. When you work out, you're creating micro injuries that as they repair, they repair stronger and that's how bodybuilders build up their muscles. So there is, so he wrote and said, look, there is some evidence that said, look, icing extreme cryotherapy can actually disrupt this natural process. The cold causes blood vessels to, blood vessels to constrict in the affected area. 
And while it might feel better, cold treatments are not ideal for enhancing athletic performance or building strength. I, that might be true. I know there are sort of cryo chambers where athletes can sit in extreme cold for a period of time. To me right now, cold therapy seems to be the standard of care. Again, I'm not an expert in this. I don't know of any elite athletic programs that don't involve some sort of cold therapy. And my guess is, you know, given such a short period of time, I was in the cold tank today, 57 degrees submerged for about 12 minutes. I, you know, is that enough to completely halt the healing you know, therapy of the, of the inflammation process? unclear, but certainly an interesting take on this. I can imagine if people were continually icing themselves and not allowing the body to do its natural process. It's kind of like the, the argument some people make about anti-inflammatory medications. Overuse of them, I think, can be problematic because we do want some degree of inflammation. So appreciate the input there, Brendan, and appreciate you listening to the show. Before we get started, uh, if you're interested in the music that we talk about on the show, you can find all the songs that we talk about on the Sleep and Plug podcast on the Spotify playlist. Either uh, Sleep and Plug Spotify Volume One was last year's complete show. This season, all the songs that we talk about on on the show are on that Spotify playlist. And if you want to get in touch with the show, like Brendan did, talk about music, talk about inflammation, talk about your experience in a cold tub or a hot tub, you can find us on social media: Dr. Chris Winter Twitter, Dr. Chris Winter Instagram, Dr. Chris Winter TikTok, Blue Sky Threads. D-R-C-H-R-I-S-W-N-T-E-R. And of course, you can find us through the YouTube Sleep Unplugged page where we post videos of all of our content. So to today, the song that we referenced in the title of the podcast, Empty Stomach, Empty Head, is a line from the Peter Gabriel song, I Don't Remember. This was, a, this was the song uh, off of his fourth album called Peter Gabriel. All of his albums i believe up until so which had sledgehammer were always called peter gabriel so there's peter gabriel 1975 peter gabriel 1977 peter gabriel 1978 and then the peter gabriel album from 1980 had i don't remember which featured our line it also had games without frontiers uh, bico which is a great song and I really like this album. This was his first really kind of bigger album right before. So that um, I like this album because it was actually produced by Brian Eno. We've talked about Brian Eno in relationship to Roxy Music. We've talked about him in terms of producing some of David Bowie's biggest records. And actually, uh, when David Bowie was working with Brian Eno on his Heroes album, they actually recruited Robert Fripp from King Crimson. We talked about King Crimson last week with Foreigner because Ian McDonald was the founding member with Robert Fripp. Robert Fripp actually plays guitar on Peter Gabriel's um, album, in particular the song I Don't Remember. So he was actually the iconic guitarist from the Heroes riff that sort of starts the song. So big Robert Fripp fan, and he kind of shows up all over the place in, in cool music. This song was actually he sang as a duet with Kate Bush, who was just inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame back in 79. And David Byrne of Talking Heads, who we've talked about in this show, actually covered this song in 2013. And Peter Gabriel is a legendary singer. Everybody knows him. He was initially with uh, Genesis up until 1975 when he left. 
Uh, my favorite story about Peter Gabriel was in 72 when they were touring, when he was touring with Genesis to support Foxtrot, which was their fourth album. They were getting ready to sing the song Musical Box, which was a song off of Nursery Crimes, their third album. And he would actually tell stories to the audience while Phil Collins, Mike Rutherford, uh, uh, Tony Banks would be tuning their instruments and getting ready. He would just tell stories. And that was the way he sort of killed the time in between songs. And in 72, when they were touring, he was getting they were getting ready to play Musical Box. And he walked off the stage put his wife's dress on this red dress and a massive fox head and walked out on stage and started telling stories. And he didn't tell the band he was going to do this because he knew they would be upset. They wouldn't want him to do it. And doing it created a tremendous amount of controversy, got a lot of press coverage, and suddenly they were charging double for their tickets. So it was a massive success that sort of paid off. And he kind of became known for his theatrics until he left the band and was, of course, replaced by Phil Collins as the lead singer who stepped forward from the drum kit to, to sing. And if you're interested in Genesis, I invite you to listen to the podcast Well of Sound. They did a massive Genesis uh, podcast, and it's really interesting. So let's get into the gut microbiome, which is really fascinating to me. And I'll tell you, I'm not an expert on the gut microbiome. I don't know that really anybody is. I mean, there are people who are experts, but what's re really interesting about the gut microbiome, when you talk to people about it, they talk, I remember hearing a astrophysicist interviewed one time. And he was talking about the discovery of a planet. And I don't remember what planet he was talking about, but he said way, way back before the planet was discovered, people knew, astronomers knew there was a planet, even though they couldn't see it, because they could tell based upon the way other planets and celestial bodies behaved, that there had to be a force, an unseen force influencing those planetary celestial bodies. And eventually, many, many, many years later, aha, this planet is discovered. But they knew it was there, even though they couldn't point to it or show it. And I think about the gut biome in those terms. It's definitely there. It's definitely doing all kinds of things. Our ability to quote unquote, see it and really study it easily remains difficult. And, and that's for a lot of reasons. But we know that it's, I mean, think about depression for a minute. Okay. So when an individual is depressed, one of the things that you might see that goes along with it is sort of GI upset. I mean, just think about yourself when you're upset or stressed out about something, it can affect your gut. And that depression gut linkage has been known for a long time. And when you start to look at it through the lens of the gut microbiome, it becomes really fascinating. So let's define it. What, what exactly is the gut microbiome? It's essentially all the microorganisms that live within us in our gut, in our digestive tract. And not only the organisms, but their genetic material that they contain. And I think it's been estimated there are a thousand different types of bacteria and microorganisms 
that live inside of our digestive tract. And so when we think about that, it's massively influential. We've got this relationship with this massive flora of microorganisms that are living in and on us. And that relationship is just now being explored. So today is the first Monday of November. So the first Monday of, no, of any month, we always dedicate to some topic related to insomnia. So I'm going to make a stretch here and kind of create this topic because there was actually some research coming out of Australia recently where a biotech company was looking at the gut microbiome as a potential avenue for the treatment of insomnia. So that's kind of how this came about. And we'll get to that at the, at the very end of the show. So when we think about insomnia, what are the things that influence the development of the condition? And there's lots. There is certainly genetics. We know that certain individuals are more predisposed to develop insomnia versus others. And we've talked about that before. There's biochemical factors, serotonin, dopamine, neurotransmitters, are abundant in our central nervous system and the relative amounts and ratios of those neurotransmitters can influence sleep, can influence cognition, can influence our psychiatry, our cognitive status, and can certainly influence sleep. Immune factors we've talked about quite a bit. We talked about them last week with the cold and hot therapy. We actually talked uh, a bit about them um, previous to that, in terms of the um, sleep and longevity, we've we've talked about, and and so that sleep, inflammation, immune system linkage is is very strong, and so that can certainly influence sleep behaviors and insomnia. And then there's psychosocial factors, which are abundant and often are sort of the target of what we do when we think about treating insomnia. So when we think about the gut microbiome, we think about host sleep and mental stress and mental states that are being modulated through this microbiome gut brain axis that we'll talk about. And preliminary research has actually shown that the microorganisms within our bodies in this gut microbiome have intrinsic circadian rhythms that actually in, interact with each other and the host, our own circadian rhythm in really fascinating ways. And so when you think about the different ways the gut microbiome might influence sleep and therefore insomnia, we, we go in some pretty unusual directions. And I think the biggest thing that we think about typically with the gut microbiome is that the gut microbiome and its rela relationship to inflammation could be related to sleep loss, circadian misalignment, affective disorders like depression, like we were talking about, and even metabolic disease. And we're going to get into the ways those three things can be linked. So how is the gut microbiome? So if you think about all these microorganisms living inside of us, how are they actually interacting with us, with the host? In other words, something could be living in you 
and be completely isolated. It's just, you know, maybe you think of like a, a, a something living in your scalp and eating, you know, little skin flakes or something like, is it actually influencing you besides maybe making you scratch your head every now and then? What is that backwards and forwards relationship? Or is it purely one directional? No, this thing lives there. It eats the skin off your scalp, but it's not really doing anything to you or for you. It's just a kind of a host parasitic host relationship, or is there actually bi-directional communication? And the three pathways that have been put forward as a way the gut microbiome can actually communicate with us are as follows. The first is the immunoregulatory pathway, meaning that the microbiome is interacting with our immune cells in a way to affect levels of cytokines, prostaglandins, and the cells that we talked about that are directly related to immune system functioning and inflammation. And so as a result, because these chemicals are being modulated, we're actually modulating chemicals within our brain. So that's sort of the first way. The second is the neuroendocrine pathway. So there are more than 20 different neuroendocrine cells within the intestine. It's, it's actually the largest endocrine organ in the body, you know, pancreas, pituitary, thyroid. This is actually the biggest neuroendocrine organ in our body based upon size. So the gut microbiome may be actually affecting the hypothalamus pituitary axis, which is extremely important when you're looking at the endocrinological function of our body, which is directly related to metabolism. Um, and so when you think about an endocrinologist, that's what they're dealing with. They're dealing with things that relate to that hypothalamus pituitary axis uh, a lot of times. And so the gut microbiome might be playing a big role in terms of helping modulate and regulate the secretion of things like cortisol, tryptophan, and serotonin. Wow. Those are three chemicals we have talked a lot about on this show. Cortisol, stress hormone not necessarily what you want around in large amounts when you're trying to sleep. Tryptophan, we've talked about that with dietary things that we, you know, what are the good things to eat before you go to bed? What are the bad things? We were talking all about this with the MyFitnessPal people this week. You know, tryptophan in game meats, tryptophan in chickpeas, so hummus chips before you, you know, as a midnight snack, great to help you sleep because they're loaded with tryptophan. Tryptophan gets brought into our body and eventually converted into neurotransmitters like serotonin, melatonin that help promote sleep. So that neuroendocrinological pathway between ourselves and our gut microbiome is really important when it comes to not only regulating sleep, but if that gut microbiome is dysregulated, then sleep is absolutely going to be dysregulated based upon the disruption of the neurotransmitters that it influences. The final one, which to me is a little bit more obscure, is the vagus nerve pathway. So when you think about, so as a neurologist, we think about cranial nerves. Most of the nerves we have in our body come off of our spinal cord, but there are 12 cranial nerves that actually come off of the brain, optic nerve that is vision, auditory nerve, et cetera, olfactory nerve for smelling. One of those nerves is the vagus nerve and it connects the intestines to the brain. Well, there's a massive complex of uh, sort of the, the gut microbiome 
interacting with neurons that go directly to the vagus nerve. So there is a connection directly into the central nervous system via the vagus nerve. And this can, and this allows the gut microbiome to really influence things like brain function, stress response, and sleep structure directly. It's like its own little, it's like the, remember the red phone that the United States, maybe you still have it on, I have no idea. You know, United States had with Russia, that was a big thing during the cold war. Like if things got heated, the president could pick up the red phone and call, you know, Reagan could call Gorbachev or, you know, whatever. And I always think about the vagus nerve pathway as sort of the red phone that gut microbiome can use to connect directly to the central nervous system. All right. So with these three pathways, we now have a mechanism for this gut microbiome to communicate with the central nervous system in the brain and influence sleep. And I think this is really interesting to think about. So when you think about the microbiome, there are bacteria in our body and somewhere on the order of probably 60% of them are exhibiting their own circadian rhythm. So in other words, when you look at the behavior, the population of this microbiome, it's changing based upon whether it's day or night. And when you look at the major constituents of our gut microbiome in mammals, this abundance changes in terms of the microbiome's food intake and, and, and dietary structure, and therefore can influence us as well too, um, both in terms of our circadian rhythm, our biological clock. Um, so when we think about daylight saving, so we did an episode on daylight saving a long time ago. And one of the things that we talk about, we talk about with Karen Johnson, friend of the show, working to abolish daylight saving time and keep us on standard time. And one of the things that we talked a lot about during those episodes was, yes, we've just gone through daylight saving. You know, we're, we've, we've gone through the, the clock change. We um, adjusted an hour. And so it'll take us a couple of days theoretically to adjust. And it's always easier because we gained an hour of sleep. That's, a, that's an easy one to deal with in the fall. The problem is we are now off an hour and will be until we switch the clocks again um, several months from now. And so this idea that our gut microbiome has its own circadian rhythm creates yet another sort of pathway where our circadian clock misalignment as it relates to our gut microbiome is another sort of unseen factor happening behind the curtains that are actually adjusting the way we interact and, 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 and function. And when you look at the changes that we see in terms of that clock gene expression in our microbiome, there's an easy connection to make with our sleep disruption. So again, if we've got a microbiome that's communicating with our brain in a lot of different ways, and we suddenly change our sleep by an hour, it's not entirely clear how that gut microbiome adapts to that hour change. And that disruption 
can make a huge difference in terms of our ability to function, create the proper neurotransmitters, create the proper signaling to our brain to allow us to function at our best. So when you think about the things like depression and sleep, they're both closely tied to circadian activity. And depressed patients often experience milder symptoms at night, more severe symptoms in the morning. Uh, shift workers, you can see very similar types of things as well. So that, that circadian misalignment not only has an impact on sleep and, and cognitive functioning and mood, it also has a huge impact on metabolism. And this is probably why there's so much more metabolic problems, metabolic syndrome in individuals with shift work, individuals who experience jet lag, as opposed to the normal population. And again, when you start to view these things through the lens of the gut microbiome, this is a really interesting reason why that might be. It's like a massive population living within us that's trying to function in a unified way with us, with our bodies, and not able to do so because of disruptions, either spring forward, fall back, shift work, jet lag, even sleep deprivation. And all of those things are associated with the release of neurotransmitters, dopamine being one of them. So when you start to think about these individuals, their circadian misalignment, their insomnia, and their depression, there could be a strong link between the gut, the microbiome, and that as well too, because it influences the release of certain neurotransmitters. We talked about tryptophan and serotonin and, and dopamine. So when you think about circadian rhythms, we think about the suprachiasmatic nucleus. And we know that the microbiome is able to mediate the host gene expression of the suprachiasmatic nucleus. And this was shown in a 2015 study called Effects of Diurnal Variation of Gut Microbiomes and High Fat Feeding on Host Circadian Function in Cell Metabolism. This was in, I think, Cell, I believe. And it basically demonstrated that the oscillations in the expression of the circadian genes in our suprachiasmatic nucleus were reduced in mice that were bred... Um, in, in conditions where they were basically sterile, they were germ-free mice. So they didn't have the typical gut constituents of a normal mouse that has the same kind of, you know, kind of flora that we do. I have no idea what, how a mouse gut flora differs from humans, but again, it's multiple species of or kinds of bacteria that you know inhabit the the lining of the mouse's stomach there are mice that can be raised experimentally that are essentially what they call germ free and what they showed was that the germ free mice were not able to mediate their circadian rhythm like the typical mice and that related to the fact that they did not have a complete sort of uh, array of the gut bacteria uh, that they typically did. So really interesting connections within the circadian rhythm, interesting connections metabolically, 
interesting connections related to the expression of genes, interesting connections related to the expression of chemicals that we think of as being related to healthy sleep and healthy mood. So what does this mean? Well, there was a, a study in 2022, an article in 2022 called the gut microbiome as a target for adjunct, adjuvant therapy in insomnia disorder. So everything we've talked about insomnia up until this point is real. I mean, CBTI is always going to be probably the most effective way to treat insomnia, but there are certain things that are going to make it more likely for an individual to have it. This relates me back to an episode we talked about in the past. We were talking about when somebody wrote in page page wrote in and said, I can't believe you would recommend prayer as a treatment for insomnia in postmenopausal women. And, and what we were talking about was, look, this is the same thing, right? Could it be that changes in hormone level, hormone levels in women who are postmenopausal are predisposing them to certain things that relate to insomnia? Absolutely, yes. Because we know this. We know that women often who utilize hormone replacement therapy awaken fewer times, fewer hot flashes, less disturbed sleep, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What I was saying was, but there still may be a need regardless of whatever causes it for CBTI. Same thing here. But can we actually eliminate or change the likelihood, the underlying biochemical factors, circadian factors. Imagine having your circadian clock completely destroyed or disrupted. We know blind people, there's the model, right? Blind people who are not being exposed to light on a regular basis have very disorganized circadian rhythms. And yeah, they have a lot of insomnia. There's actually medications specifically designed to treat non-24. And if you talk to people with non-24, insomnia is a huge problem for those individuals. So could a blind person use CBTI? Absolutely. But wow, if you could restore the light signaling to that blind individual, they may not need the CBTI because that's actually establishing a much healthier sleep situation. That's what we're talking about here. So anyway, this study basically investigated the gut, the microbiome gut axis as a potential field of study that could improve sleep, cognition, mood in individuals who have deficiencies or problems there. And Queensland scientists and doctors are exploring whether or not this is something that could be looked at. And I believe Servatus, S-E-R-V-A-T-U-S, is a pharmaceutical company that's actually exploring treatments. Um, and there's, I think they're actually conducting the first human trials of a bacteria-based treatment. So if you look up Servatus, um, you might be able to find more information about that. I've not been able to see where they are in terms of testing, but there may soon be gut-based therapies for sleep. Now, is it possible for us to manipulate diets you know, and, and use things that, 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 that help to support a, health, a healthy gut microbiome? Could those things actually influence our sleep? I think the answer is probably yes. And again, like the planet that we can't see, I can't tell you exactly how prebiotics, probiotics are 
affecting sleep, but there's very good likelihood that they do. Now, I think there's a lot of potential for abuse and wild claims and selling you products that really don't have any clinical backing behind them. But on a theoretical concept, I think this is something we're definitely going to see in the next few years. And I hope to do another episode of the podcast based upon the gut microbiome and insomnia that's much more enlightened than this one when we start to discover more things. So that's it. That's insomnia and the gut microbiome. Very exciting. Look forward to finding out more about this and seeing more in the future. If you have questions, concerns, comments about the podcast or previous ones, look us up. We're at Dr. Chris Winter, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Threads, Blue Sky. Follow us on our Sleep Unplugged YouTube page. My books, The Sleep Solution, Why Your Sleep is Broken and How to Fix It, as well as The Rest of the Child, are available. I do not believe I referenced gut microbiome in either one of them, so buyer beware. That's it. If you have any questions, please get in touch with the podcast. Really appreciate you listening. Until next week, sleep well.